Funding for WPLN News comes from you, our listeners, and Bernstein Private Wealth, working with creators and innovators to invest with intention and build the legacy they want to leave behind. More at Bernstein.com. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. The Nashville Ballet's 2022-2023 season is about to come to an end. And with it, the final chapter for its longtime artistic director, Paul Vasterling. He's worked with our ballet for 30 years as a dancer, artistic director, and CEO. Over that time, the ballet has grown in size and reputation. This season will close this weekend with a production called New in Nashville, which he sees as a fitting send-off. Paul Vasterling will join us later this hour to reflect on his tenure share and share his hopes for the future of the Nashville Ballet. But first, it's time for Add Us. Yes. Each week, we take time to read the comments so you don't have to. I'm encouraging you to literally at us on Twitter at ThisIsNashville and on Instagram at ThisIsNashville underscore WPLN. Joining me now with a look back at the past week is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Hey, Anna. Hey, Khalil. So, you know, we didn't have uh, at us last week, so we actually have a backlog of listener comments. And newsflash, our listeners have very strong feelings about gun laws. You you know, I can't say I'm surprised. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Um, So during last Wednesday's episode about guns in Tennessee, friend of the show and regular listener Rachel Kestner tweeted, quote, both my parents are military vets who loudly support gun control. My mom showed me and my sister what a bullet can do to a brain using a water-filled coffee can and a shotgun. We were six and four when she did that. Neither of us has forgotten that. Mm, That's pretty powerful. Yeah, that's quite the the visual. Yeah. Um, Another listener, Jason Sparks, also tweeted at us saying, quote, as a gun violence survivor fighting for common sense reforms, it is amazing seeing all the progress that is being made recently. But I am so proud that the Tennessee Three use their platform to advocate for reforms and not to save their own skins. They are heroes to me, end quote. He also added that he's against the idea of allowing teachers to carry firearms in schools. um, He went on to say, quote, this is a terrible idea and throwing guns at a problem doesn't fix anything. Can you imagine a kindergartner teacher carrying a concealed handgun in class? End quote. Mm, well, as a former substitute teacher who taught plenty of kindergarten classes, I cannot mm-hmm. imagine that. Well, mm-hmm. earlier this week, the Tennessee legislature paused a bill that would allow school employees, not just teachers, to conceal carry handguns on school grounds. WPLN's political reporter Blaze Ganey is following that closely in his le- legislative coverage. So we will keep you all posted. And before that pause happened, we actually received a comment in favor of that bill. Johnny on Twitter wrote to us saying, quote, I would prefer an advanced background and training certification, but a teacher willing and able to carry that burden should be allowed. He also added, quote, the few teachers that are ready and willing and um, able slash trained properly should be allowed. Carry on campus. We've got an episode upcoming in a couple weeks about arming teachers, and we'll be soliciting your input, so please stay tuned for that. Okay, so after the episode about guns, we received an interesting DM from David 
about language. David is a colleague of our guest, Dr. Jay Wellens. He wrote, quote, it may be worth avoiding the term gun control as it has become a term that is quite polarizing and stops the conversation cold. It was interesting when you used the term gun control advocate to describe the Moms Demand Action volunteer because even Shannon Watts, the founder of Moms on Demand, is quite specific about avoiding the term gun control other options include firearm injury prevention or gun violence prevention, end quote. Thank you for that, David, because as we know, as people in the media, language is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. So like the gun debate, the pushback against the phrase gun control is far from new. In fact, it was something that NPR even reported about back in 2013. I'll let Ari Shapiro explain. Ask gun control advocates to describe what this debate is about, and they'll say control really isn't the word they prefer. We find that it's one of those terms that has some baggage. Mark Glaze is director of Mayors Against Illegal Guns. We talk about gun violence prevention because that's what it is. Gun control suggests big government telling Americans what to do. Violence prevention, well, that's something everybody could support in theory. I've seen polling in which the phrase gun violence prevention tests a good 17, 20 points higher than the term gun control. Change words and you can change opinions. Ari also reported that the National Rifle Association pointedly never uses the phrase violence prevention because it wants to keep the gun debate about the Second Amendment and gun rights. Mm, there's so much nuance to these conversations. Last week wasn't our first episode about guns, and it definitely won't be our last. All right. So I was out Monday and WPLN's Nina Cardona filled the host chairs for a discussion about how Christian communities are reacting to the Covenant's shooting. The last few weeks have not been easy. And Nina choked up at the start of the episode. A listener who goes by Chego on Twitter noticed and wrote us saying, quote, I'm grateful for this show and the way they covered issues in a caring, sensitive way. Hugs to Nina Cardona for channeling the emotions of the whole city in that intro, end quote. Nina always does an excellent job as a guest host. Mm -hmm. And the This Is Nashville team completely agrees with Chico's comment. So thank you so much for that. We also got an email about that episode. Our listener Shoshana took issue with our framing of it. She felt that we were implying that the Covenant school shooting only affected Christians. While we definitely did not mean to imply that, we take Shoshana's feedback to heart. Because it took place at a Christian school and because many churches in that area have a direct connection to Covenant, we wanted to hold space for this community's concern. On top of that, local Christian communities are in the midst of a real political reckoning in the wake of that shooting, and we wanted to dedicate some airtime to that nuanced development. Well, thank you again for that, Shoshana, and for talking with us more afterwards about your feedback. There was another episode we did last week related to the shooting. It was a panel of local teenagers sharing with us how this shooting is hitting them. What did listeners have to say about that, Anna? So we actually got a lot of love for that episode. And here's a tweet from Margaret Stevens. She wrote, quote, thank you for keeping this conversation alive. Thank you for your show yesterday on the mess in the legislature. It gives me a little hope to know that there are folks grappling with these issues. It gives me motivation to figure out how I can be a part of the change. Thank you for that, Margaret. All right, Anna, what else we got? Well, before I head back to my computer, I want listeners to know that they can weigh in on next week's episode about community oversight boards for our police departments. The state is currently considering a bill that would eliminate Nashville's community oversight board. If you have strong feelings 
for or against the bill, please let us know at thisisnashville.org. That is our digital lead, Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Thanks for this roundup, Anna, and we'll see you soon. Of course, and our listeners know find me online. Don't forget to add us on Twitter and Instagram. Let's keep the comments coming. Also, fill out our community survey and let us know what topics you want us to cover at thisisnashville.org. It's super easy and quick and helps us produce the shows with your needs and interests in mind. We have to take a short break. When we come back, we'll talk with outgoing artistic director of the Nashville Ballet, Paul Vasterling, whose long tenure will come to an end with this weekend's performance, New in Nashville. Are you a fan of the Nashville Ballet? Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. I'm Khalil A. Colonna, and this is Nashville. When the Nashville Ballet closes its 2022-2023 season this weekend, it will be the end of an era. Artistic director Paul Vasterling will move on from his post as the leader of the company. He's one he's been with for more than 30 years. During his time, he transferred the transformed the reputation of the Nashville Ballet and built it into one of the foremost ballet companies in the Southeast. How did he do it? And what made him want to? Lucky for us, the longtime fixture in our city's art community is here to talk about his life and career. Paul Vasterling, thank you for being here and welcome to Hi, This Khalil. Is Nashville. Nice, nice to be here. I'm honored to be here. Thank honored you. to have you with us. So, you know, your time as the leader of the Nashville Ballet ends very soon. How are you feeling right now? You know, um, excited, very excited uh, about the freedom and kind of less responsibility. But of course, there's lots of of nostalgia and you know a little bit of bittersweet for 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 the. I, I love working with the people and particularly with the artists, the dancers, and the composers and the musicians. Those are those are and even and the administrative staff. I love all the people stuff of it. I'll miss that a little bit, but mm-hmm. I think I'm still going to get a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. So the last performance this season is happening this weekend at TPAC. It's called New in Nashville. Right. Tell us about it. Oh, it's a great show. It's um, four ballets, a mixed repertory. It is with the Nashville Symphony. So we don't always get the opportunity to perform with the symphony and with the full orchestra. So that kind of drives what I choose. And um, it is four choreographers. There, One is Donald Byrd, world premiere. Matthew Neenan, another world premiere that we're, we're doing. And then a choreographer named Kathy Marston, who's doing a story ballet based on uh, Ethan Frome, the Edith Wharton piece. Uh, Kathy is a British woman. And then we're doing, because this is my last performance, we're doing a, a kind of one of my favorites, Appalachian Spring by Aaron Copeland. Mm. And, um, you know, uh, today is the day I get to go into the the theater with the orchestra. It's the first day with the full orchestra. And I, I just love these days so much because the music is there and it, you can, you, you know, we worked mostly recorded in rehearsal and we get to hear them the first time and you can just, it's palpable the the excitement that happens in me and in the dancers. What does that mean to you that this is your last performance, but as you said, you rarely get a chance to work with the symphony. So it's, it's like they're pulling out, the artistic community is pulling out all the stops to honor you on your well, way Well, you know, we, we get to do, we're with them a few times a year. There are regular performances, but 
I mean, for me, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the time with them in the theater is very brief. You know, we do two rehearsals and Bullman's performance time. So, you know, having them there in after we've rehearsed it for six weeks with just recorded music is just, it's magical. And, you know, the... Not a lot of companies our size, many companies much larger than us, don't have uh, orchestral or even live music. We have live music for pretty much all of our shows. That is kind of unheard of. And uh, that's a Nashville thing. That's because we are just rich in these really amazing uh, musicians and players and composers. And so we get to have all of that happening in our in our space and in our theaters. And it changes the way the dancers move. The live, it's, you know, it is of the moment, the utter moment. It's just like you and I talking here right now. It's this exchange that happens right in front of people. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your beginnings and how you found ballet or how ballet found you. Where did your artistic journey begin? Okay, that that's a good question. I, I am uh, from a very large family, uh, grew up in Louisiana, eight children, big Catholic family and not necessarily artistic at all. My mom wanted to have one of her kids play the piano. She had my older sister do it and who, who quickly said, no, I don't want to do this. And, and me, number six, said, oh, I'll, I'll take the lessons. And so I started taking piano when I was 10. And I, I'm, I am a quiet person and really love music. When I was about 16, I was playing the piano for a community theater. And I'm tall and I'm male and musical and this dance teacher who was there saw me and said, uh, you should come and take classes. And I, you know, I said, yeah, I'd like to do tap. Mm. And I didn't know what ballet was. Sincerely, sincerely, I didn't know what it was. And she said, you can do tap, but I really want you to take ballet class. And I went in my jeans and I looked probably quite ridiculous. And um, <laughs> the girls were laughing at me because it was only girls. And, uh, you know, I, after my, in my first class, I was like, oh, this is really cool. It was really difficult, physically challenging, intellectually challenging. And of course, music was really involved. And I knew within, you know, a very short time, that's what I wanted to do. I didn't tell any, I certainly didn't tell my parents uh, that I wanted to be a ballet dancer because it was such as crazy left field thing hmm. uh, that came out of kind of nowhere. I went to university in New Orleans at Loyola. I was going to be a music therapist. Uh, I was a music major and that, but there was a ballet teacher in the, in the school who helped me. And, um, you know, I became a, uh, I, you know, because I'm male and there's less male men in ballet, particularly in those days, um, I got a job and I was just kind of working around the country and that's what brought me to Nashville. It was a gig. Mm. And um, I thought I'd live here a year or two, you know, and then it's 30 plus years later, here I am. So, you know, okay, lucky me. Yes, yes. Lucky, lucky Nashville, actually. So you said something. You said it was one, one I have to say, one of eight kids. I thought I had a lot of siblings, but that's a lot. Kudos on you and making it through in one piece. Um, you know, you said it was intellectually challenging. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Like, what were those challenges and how did they excite your mind when you first began? You know, I'd never connected music and physicality. I, you know, in, in my mind, I was always the kid who danced with everybody in middle school. I was the only one who would dance. You know, the girls liked me because I would dance with them. But um, I didn't really connect the sort of this coded thing to the music notes that I was studying otherwise. And when I thought, oh my gosh, this is a whole system. And I didn't really even think of it as a language that I do now. 
I just thought, wow. And it was in French. It was in a whole different language. I didn't know. I mean, the word I pronounced it was all wrong. And, mm. you know, I, and it was a sort of like crash course in it. And I just found it to be really challenging for me to do. I was always good in school. You know, I was a pretty good student and things were fairly easy. This was not easy. And I wasn't nat naturally athletic either. I was, you know, kind of a, a nerd. Really. Okay. Still am. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, uh, uh, you know, I had to figure it out and, and, you know, it, I, it, people were embodying music in front of me when we're doing it. And it just really turned me on and, and, um, still does. It's still an amazing, amazing, uh, experience to be in the room with dancers. You, you started in ballet at an age later than most do. How much catching up? Did you have to do? Who uh, helped you get up to speed? A whole lot of catching up. Um, you know, I got hired early on. Um, I was in smaller companies. I went to New York in the early 80s and kind of auditioned for a million different people and didn't get any jobs and then came back and started getting regional jobs. But the the person, the, the woman um, who took me into her studio was named, she's no longer alive, uh, Darlene Hike. She's the person who saw the talent in me, Miss Darlene, that's what we mm -hmm. called her. Mm -hmm. And uh, a, a woman named Gail Parmalee at Loyola University was the person who there who, uh, I don't know, she just like, she knew I was determined to, to do it. And um, I think that's what I have most of all is tenacity and uh, determination and, and just stick-to-itiveness. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to make this work. And I just, just, when it works, it's just such an exciting thing to me. Um, you know, when it, when, when a, the story is embodied in the music and the music and you see people get moved, uh, you know, emotionally, I love that. Mm. So you came to Nashville, which you thought was going to be for a short period of mm -hmm. time. What did you think of Nashville when you first arrived? To be honest, I didn't think that much of it except that the company gave me health insurance. Okay. <laughs> that is why I moved here. I was in Austin, Texas, mm -hmm. and I had a gig there and, you know, they didn't give me insurance and Nashville had, and my parents always taught me, you know, you should have health insurance. So I was paying for my own and, uh, you know, really responsible. And, um, they gave me health insurance and that is why I came. And, you know, I was more worried about the price of rent and, you know, as artists are, um, as time has gone on, um, you know, and as I, I stopped being a performer and I started being a creator, I started to learn uh, the, the wealth of talent that is here. And in, in, this was in the 90s. Uh, TPAC, Tennessee Performing Arts Center, had their bicentennial and they commissioned me to do a, a ballet with this, the artist Nancy Griffith. Uh, a singer-songwriter who has also just recently passed away. A beautiful, beautiful artist. And that was kind of my first pop experience. And um, it sort of opened up the world to me and made me realize that, you know, so much music can, a ballet, dance, ballet can be, oh, so much of it can be done. It can be done to so much and different kinds of music. And um, it really opened up the world to me to, to learn all that is here and there are just so many composers here every, people don't realize it that just of every genre and you get to talk to them and they're usually really willing to collaborate mm. uh, i have a feeling that might be because so many of them are songwriters and they have to collaborate in their business but they're the the, the boundaries are really open and they're really excited about seeing their music re-embodied one of my favorite things to do is when a composer or songwriter comes into the studio the first time and gets to see their music dance to. It's like a, 
it's like them looking through a different kaleidoscope that they've never looked through before. Mm. And you can usually see it in their face, you know, that they are, that this, this, this thing that's been in part of their brain in a certain way has embodied in a different way. And I usually sit there and I don't watch the dancers. I watch the composers and watch their reaction mm -hmm. to watching the dance. It's really fun. If you're just tuning in, this is Nashville and I'm your host, Khalil Ekelona. Our guest this hour is outgoing artistic director of the Nashville Ballet, Paul Vasterling. Tweet us your questions at thisisnashville.org. Okay, so one of the collaborations that you've done was with the Nashville alt-rock singer-songwriter Ben Folds. In 2014, the Nashville Ballet debuted the Ben Folds Project. You choreographed to Ben Folds' original piano concerto. Let's listen to a clip of that music, and I'd, I'd, oh, re I'd really love to hear how you go about creating something like this. Is very beautiful and powerful. I can see that you were moved. Definitely, to it now. it's been a while. Yeah. So when you when you hear a piece of music like this, what are you picking up as a choreographer? You know, it's it's really strange. You just sort of close your eyes and think about stories that might occur to you. And um, I mean, I could see the choreography there when we were when we were playing it. It's the first cadenza, and it's a the big duet. And I made for the first movement of of Ben's concerto, which we we co-commissioned with uh, Nashville Symphony was, uh, it is sort of a, a, a story about a man and his different loves. And, um, this first one, he had this femme fatale who, uh, he, um, he, uh, had this affair with. And then the second part was this whole like beach scene with these two women. I mean, I, you know, I just let my imagination go and, mm. and, see different things in it. Sometimes it's actual visual images that almost like a film. And sometimes it's an emotional idea. The second movement of the concerto was more of an emotional idea that I, I, I made. And, um, but that was a really fun piece to do. And that's Ben playing on there. And, and, um, we were, we, I mean, he created that whole thing back and forth with me, sending me little fragments and, and, um, it was so much fun to do it. And we, 
we actually got to do that at the Kennedy Center. We mm-hmm. had our debut at the Kennedy Center with Ben Folds playing that. And um, it was one of my favorite moments in my whole time because, you know, you, we here here and our audiences here love us, of course. We're the local team and everybody loves us. But the reaction at the Kennedy Center was amazing and to see our artists and our and ben out there and and just they went nuts for the this concerto mm-hmm. which was really fun it must and, have made you feel very happy that i mean the kennedy was, center uh, is one of the more notable places to it perform. was in washington dc it was a it was a real moment i won't forget it of you know of a uh, almost validation and and uh you know just seeing another set of people's eyes on our on our company and on our artistry it was was fun. You mentioned before that you worked with the famed singer song, famed songwriter, the late Nancy Griffith. Mm-hmm. What was it like working with her? Oh my gosh, she was this amazing person who um, had such a gigantic oeuvre of, of songs to choose from, and she just let me do whatever I wanted with them. And I'm going to just call her, and she, you know, I think she thought I was just this nerdy guy. I mean, she'd never met. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just showed up on her doorstep with, you know, and they said, oh, this guy's going to, and, and, and then I started putting together the songs and kind of weaving together songs that she had never woven together before. And, and you know, I'm finding these different facets of her music and then showing different, uh, you know, showing different sides of it. And, you know, I think it, it changed the way she thought about the, the things. And we did lots of things together over time. Um, and, um I sure do miss her, miss her music, and and um and miss her uh her uh her voice, yeah. You that was one of the first mm-hmm. collaborations you did. How did how did that experience working with Nancy? How did that set the tone for future collaborations? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, kind of it made it easier. You know, if people didn't think I was the nerd on the doorstep anymore. You okay. know, they started to take me more seriously, and uh, you know, I would get to, you know, I'd bring in and have ideas for them about different kinds of music. And then I'd like to, to let them start to write things that maybe they wouldn't write themselves. Like Ben, you know, with the concerto, Ben's a songwriter really. And, and Ben folds Mm -hmm. and, uh, to, to make a long form piece of classical music that actually was based on his ideas of pop music was a, I think a pretty neat thing that sprung out of our work together and our thoughts and that that ha- that started to happen a lot more with other other songwriters and composers as time has gone on mm-hmm. and I, you know you meet one and then you meet another we worked with the bluebird cafe for lots of times and of course that allows us to be with all of these different voices and they're all so different and uh, unique and and excited. I mean, it's been it's been fun. You were so you were bringing things to the Nashville Ballet that hadn't been there before. Tell me, when you stepped into the management role at the Nashville Ballet, mm-hmm. what was your vision? Okay, you know, I stepped into it in in '98, and the company had just had some real financial problems, like nonprofits do, like you know, dance companies do. And, and so really at that point, I just wanted to make sure that we uh, were going to stay afloat. That was first. And then, and then I started to really think about, you know, why are we here and what, what does this, this organization of, of artists need to do here? So I, I always started, and I started thinking about how it connects back to the community and that, you know, people make, People make fun of me because community is, uh, you know, the second word I say when mm-hmm. I start to talk about the ballet company, because it, you know, art does build community, and, you know, the people, people kind of 
sometimes think that, you know, being local is a bad idea, but actually I think it's the best idea and all, all art becomes local. It becomes personal. And I, I thought, why shouldn't we be connecting directly back to our community and what it is? And, you know, as time has gone on and we're still working on it, trying to bring the voices of this community for the stories, the yeah. different kinds of stories and the different kinds of people. And gosh, the ballet that I just did called Anthology, I did a, it was all about Nashville. I found so many stories of things that happened here. This place is such an interesting place and such an important place that 30 year, 30 years later, I never knew mm. it's a, you know, it's a borderland between lots of different things and just so many important events happened here and so many stories are left untold. There's so, I mean, I had this anthology, I couldn't fit them all in. You know, I kept getting more as I got up to it. And I was like, oh, I, you know, we need to do more of these stories because they're just so interesting and, and kind of bring us together in, into this interesting place that we call home. Well, tell me how bringing those stories and collaborating with these wonderful, talented musicians here in Nashville, how did that help the company? Oh, man. You know, you're always getting new audiences when you do that. There are people, you know, this is an unexpected thing for classical ballet to go into some of the areas that, that we went to um, musically and even exploring the things and telling the story. So you're, you're always trying to, you know, refresh your audiences and find new audiences and find people who are going to be excited about you. So that's a a big one right there. And then of course, artistically, you're, you're opening doors, you know, this idea of collaborating, this idea of, op of breaking down boundaries between artists or people and be letting yourself be curious about each other's uh, impulses, artistic impulses is uh, uh, incredibly uh, growing and it helped the artist to grow and become better artists and become more interesting and uh, there's so much creativity in, in our company. That's one thing that's where I'm really proud of is, I mean, choreographers galore come out of Nashville Ballet. Again, mm -hmm. other companies don't necessarily have this kind of, of uh, generativity in terms of choreographers. Really proud of that. That's because of the collaboration that we have done over the years. And you have to learn to do that. It's not something you can just do. You have to learn when to, to shut up really and be quiet and listen and feel and then then bring yourself forward to it. And you know, then this thing happens to you. And I love this. I talk about this all the time. For me, it's like my uh, moment of being connected to heaven or, or God or whatever is when we go into the studio and there's nothing. You know, I have an idea that might be a story and I walk into a studio with a musician or uh, and dancers and we were together and we start just fooling around mm -hmm. and then you know an hour or two later we walk out and there's like something there that i actually can look at i mean i video it now and i'm like wow i didn't do this you didn't do this we did this mm -hmm. it's pretty and it's this beautiful symbol of community of connection that um happens all the time it gives me chills just to, to think about those times and i'm like how did this happen i mean um the ballet that we're doing this weekend, Appalachian Spring, happened just like that. I just went in with these specific dancers. They're real characters, you know, mm -hmm. these really distinct personalities that were in the company at the time of me creating it. And we just fooled around and we, I, I, I call it speed dating. We go in and we do a 10, 15 minute session and we just figure out, you know, just do something. And then a lot of that gets kept and, you know, their personalities are embedded 
the people who I created it originally on and with are embedded in the, the, they're not dancing anymore. Most of them are not dancing. There's a couple of original casts in, in this weekend's performance, but, um, uh, you know, but they will always be part of that. You'll always see them in it, which I think is really wonderful. Mm. But, um, you know, the, the, the act of collaboration and the, the lessons that you learn having to collaborate and, and let boundaries go is just such a great human lesson. I think everybody should do it. Mm. Those collaborations and your vision helped transform the ballet. Under your leadership, the size of the company doubled and it's moved from a small warehouse to a beautiful facility. Let's pick up on that after the break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Paul Vasterling, whose tenure at the Nashville Ballet is coming to an end. Join the conversation by tweeting us at This Is Nashville. We'll be right back. Kaleole Colonna, and this is Nashville. We're talking this hour with Paul Vasterling, the artistic director and CEO of the Nashville Ballet. He's been with the company for more than 30 years. And as the 2022-2023 season closes, so will his time with the company. Under his leadership, the Nashville Ballet has grown from humble beginnings to one of the premier companies in the Southeast through collaborations with our city's music community and other efforts. His work has also opened up the world of ballet to new audiences. Paul Vasterling, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, you know, not only did you did the size and look of the company grow under your leadership, so did its reputation. You know, in your view, what was the company doing differently than other regional ballet companies? Uh, you know, I think the, the the key is that idea of 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 directly connecting to the community. And you know, Nashville Ballet is not just a performing company; it's also a school, and we do just tons and tons of of of, of work uh, in community engagement and community enga uh, education. And that has always been just as important as the performing part of the company. So you know elevating the school up to an important place in the mind, the reputation, and also elevating the community engagement and the, the work in our schools and the kinds of work that we're doing was an important part of, of what we're doing. And what I think is different, you know, we, we wanted to have the strategy of intertwining community engagement, school, our school education, and our performances all into one and kind of using the synergy between those areas to build the, the company up. And of course, then they start to work together. You start to get different connections to the community. You know, you start to know people, mm -hmm. you start to get networked and people start to know you and start to give ideas to you or want you to come and do their program or want you to come and create something for them. And it, that, it all starts to work together. So it's this, this idea of just knowing where you are and being inspired by it. Looking back at the past 30 years, what are the standout shows in your mind? Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I mean, for me, my own work, my own choreography, it would be, um, I mentioned it earlier, the Ben Folds Project at, at uh, Kennedy Center, which was called Concerto, uh, a ballet called Lucy Negro Redux, which just premiered on PBS, great performances. That's a huge deal. They came and filmed it here in Nashville, and then it went 
uh, it's actually still available. It's called Black Lucy and the Bard, and it's about Shakespeare's um, uh, Shakespeare's love for the the woman of the the of, uh, the Dark Lady sonnets. Who my friend Caroline Randall Williams, who actually I just realized is on the board here of of WPLN. Mm -hmm. I just figured that out. Uh, actually, wrote this poem po book of poetry that that uh, inspired the ballet. So th that being on. National PBS was a really big deal. It's and it's still up there. Carmina Burana at the Nashville Symphony, and that was in two thousand and nine when I premiered that. And uh, after I did I, when I did that one, it was such a big deal. You know that work has chorus and a gigantic symphony and all these soloists and and a giant ballet company. And I thought, gosh, if I don't do anything else after this, I uh, and um, I'll be good. That was two thousand and nine. Mm -hmm. So I've done other some other really pretty good things since then. Um, uh, and of course, my re most recent one is, which is called Anthology, that I just premiered in February, and um, it was a real, a real collaboration in that I didn't do all of the choreography. There were five, I think, composers in it, five choreographers, all kinds of designers, and it was really this thing, this kind of uh, honoring Nashville and, and the stories not told in Nashville. You know, these stories that I mentioned earlier about. Mm -hmm. These, how many stories are not really talked about here, and we honored a lot of of people in that. So that's another one I'm really proud of. You know, people ask me about my most proud. It's like saying which is your favorite child. You know, it's a little bit of a cliche, and I would say it's usually my most recent one. Mm -hmm. In terms of the company, though, you know, we premiered Nashville's Nutcracker. Something I'm really proud of is that during the pandemic, we filmed Nutcracker, Nashville's Nutcracker, when nobody could do anything, and we put it out on television and uh, so many channel five and so many people watched it and reacted to it and wrote to it. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people watched it and we won Emmys for it. That felt really, really good and important. And like we did a good thing, you know, in, yeah. in making a difference in a period of time where it was really difficult for lots and lots of people. Yeah. That must be something really you know, just to be super proud of. It was a time where, like you said, people are, it's difficult for folks. It's the holidays. People are feeling lonely. People are feeling isolated. Yes. Yet you were really able, I feel like you brought the true Christmas spirit yeah. to people. And connection. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let me ask you this. In some circles, ballet is kind of seen as haughty in an aristocratic form of art that's not very accessible to folks. How do you respond to that? Ah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I have that's one of my my soapbox things. You know, it it can be ballet, ballet comes with a lot of baggage because of where it was developed. It was developed in the courts of the kings of France in the 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 seventeenth uh, century, seventeenth uh, to eighteenth century, and um, so it has these. And it was a primarily Caucasian white art form. But what I believe it is, and if we can get past the baggage that comes along with it, it is this ultra um, efficient and uh, beautiful way of expressing human emotion. It's a language. And what we are doing at Nashville Ballet is bringing in all kinds of bodies, different kinds of voices that tell the stories. Uh, that's what's important, that ballet can voice all, kind, every, all kinds of people's uh, stories. And that has become sort of a fine point at, at, to my time at Nashville Ballet. I don't think I was that, um, I had that clear of a vision about it when I first started. Mm -hmm. But 
going back to these collaborations, I knew that we could step beyond these cliches about a woman, a skinny white woman in a, tutu, in a tutu and move way beyond that. And that's what I always wanted to do. And you know what? We've, we've kind of done that, which is, is really cool. What, what kind of barriers did you have to making ballet more appealing to those who aren't familiar with it? And particularly to these ideas, you, you, you talked about having different bodies, different types of people. I'm sure not only did you have to convince audiences of this new vision, but you had to convince the people you're working with as well. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, they just have these, you, even now I could go and talk to someone on the street about a, a ballet and they'll think of a specific picture, a woman in a, a flat pancake tutu. And, Natalie Portman from Black Swan yeah, or something. Bingo. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And you know, what you have to do is show them and you have to get them to come and there must and that's part of the deal is in collaborating is you you're you're tempting someone who may not come after all and they're going to come and maybe see their favorite singer songwriter or their favorite come and they're like well i never expected it to be like that or better you know it changed my life we had people when they saw lucy the ballet lucy that caroline uh, wrote and and rhiannon giddens wrote the music for Young women, uh, young women of color would come up afterwards and just talk to them and say, you know, I actually saw myself and I never actually expected to see myself in a ballet. And I mean, I was like over on the side going, yeah, mm. yeah, that's right. This is it. This is this is what we want to be doing here. And, you know, it, and it's a momentum thing. You know, it takes time, uh, this this getting rid of the cliches and getting rid of the the baggage and what people expect. And, you know, it also comes with, from within. It's not just the outside. It's how we think of us. We we ballet artists think of what the art form is supposed to be doing. You know, it's, it's based on tradition and there are traditions in it that we are working to kind of get rid of, to be honest, mm -hmm. and, and change and, and uh, defy expectations. What made you want to turn Lucy Negro Redux into a ballet? Oh my gosh. Someone, a board member uh, gave me the book uh, and, uh, in the passing and in the, in the, in the, uh, in the, in the hallway of the ballet. And it's just a little teeny, little teeny book. And lots of people give me books and music, which I think is a great privilege of mine being mm -hmm. in the position I'm in, you know, I get the, and it's wonderful. And I thought, okay, um, thanks. And then I, I picked it up off a pile a weekend and read through it. And, and I got in touch with, uh, Caroline and said, you know, I think there's something here. I'm not sure it could be a film, it could be a ballet, or maybe it's an opera, you know, let's meet. She and I didn't know each other. And, um, you know, I said, I'm not even sure I'm the right guy to do this. And we started to talk and we just, we just connected about the work. And it, I mean, to me, it was clearly a dance that had, um, there was conflict in it. There was passion. There's romance, you know, all the things you want in a really good story. Mm. And um, of course, Shakespeare, which I, you've, uh, you know, we talked about inspiration. I, I'm always been a big Shakespeare. I've done a, lots and lots of Shakespeare ballets. Romeo and Juliet is going to be on the season next year and Macbeth and Midsummer Night's Dream. And I love the sonnets. And of course, you know, Caroline's inspiration for it, Lucy was what were many of the sonnets. So it was kind of a, a no brainer. It, it took on a really wonderful life of its own in terms of it, the creative process and, you know, how words became just regular poems and uh, poetry became music to us. And then mm. it really took on a, its own its own thing. You also worked with Kayla Rouser, who advocates for more diversity in dancers we see on stage from ethnicity to body type yeah. that you were obviously able to accomplish. Tell me, how did she influence you? 
Oh man, you know the dance. You know, there's a cliche about how do you separate the dancer from the dance. That is a true thing. It's not a cliche <laughs> mm-hmm. for me anyway. You know, the dancers are the dancers who 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 create the roles with me are embedded in it forever. So Lucy is a creation of Kayla as it is much of it is a creation of mine and Caroline's and Rhiannon's. And um, I think it was a, you know, if you talk to Kayla, but I, you know, I think it was a, a, a tricky subject to, to, to talk to her, to, to do for her, a journey that we, we went on together and, and I learned a whole lot in the journey. Um, but uh, Kayla you know, she is the um, original and uh, I think most important. I, hope, I don't know if you know her or not, but she's just an amazing person and mm. so articulate and um, uh, and such a gorgeous Lucy because she's just this little teeny thing, very delicate and actually kind of small, uh, uh, you know, of stature. But she took this role and just blew it out of the water. And what we were exploring in this ballet was the, how do you find power? How do you find the, 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 this woman's power in this, this story? And, uh, uh, Kayla just, I mean, particularly with her point work and, you know, the, the, the work on her toes and how that became an expression of power. And that was her idea. You know, one day I said, well, how do you feel most powerful? And Kayla as a ballet dancer said to me, well, I feel the most powerful when I'm on point, Paul, because I was trying to get her to do it not on point. Mm. And I was like, you know, it was the camera panned back for me. I was like, oh, yeah. And then kaboom, that's when it all kind of came together in that role. You know, that's the kind of conversations that we have, though, with artists is these sort of frank uh, boundary lowering conversations where we can kind of get real with each other and understand each other a little bit better. I, I want to you know? ask you about that. Two things real quick. How much does it hurt to be on point? It looks painful. It hurts a lot. Yeah. Wow. I mean, they don't, don't let them fool you. It's a, it's a, you know, they, they have to imagine being on your point shoes for um, six or seven or eight hours a day. And Man. that's what, that's how they work. And so it is, you know, you're up, try it sometime. You're perched up on your toes and it does, it does, you get bruises, you get blisters. You know, there's a little bit of support in the school, but I mean, in the, in the, the shoe, but it, it does, does really, um, take its toll on them. So yeah, it's, okay. a, it, they get used to it, you know, you yeah. know in a way, but I mean, it's a, it's but, part of the hazard of being a, 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 a dancer. As with athletes, they'll have injuries and scars from yep. doing this phenomenal work. Yep. When, you, when you're looking at dancers, though, when, what are you attempting to see from them as they work through these movements? Uh, that's another really great question is, you know, me personally, I'm looking for uh, an individual who has something to say, you know, who who has, it's a hard job, you know, being a dancer, like being a professional athlete, you have to be at it all the time, even when you're not rehearsing or performing, you're taking care of your body, you're eating right, you're thinking about what you're going to eat next, you're trying to get sleep, all the things. And But most important is that they have the desire to express themselves this way uh, through their body, through their emotions, through music. And then, of course, there's the sort of technical requirements that, you know, ballet takes, you know, certain kinds of bodies and there's a certain level of flexibility that they have to have. Um, most important though, because all of those things that I just talked about, the physical traits can be transcended by, in my opinion, by someone who really has something that they want to say. Mm. And, you know, if you look at great artists, great ballet artists over time, many of them had, uh, 
what we would call in the ballet world physical um, limitations that they had to work around. And, uh, you know, there's, and I'm not, I won't give you an example because they're sort of obscure, but they're, they had to work around these, their feet weren't right or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, but they're still, you know, in the books as this amazing artist. And, you know, did you ever get to see Dancer X, Plisitskaya, you know, the Russian ballerina? Did you ever get to see her do Swan Lake? And, you know, and I mean, they changed people's lives by what they did on stage. Yeah. They, they they really did. They changed the the moment in time for them. That that language you're yeah. you were mentioning earlier. You know, sometimes for the dancers, there's a perception of um, being obsessed with absolute perfection, and mm. it creates this incredible, in many ways, unrealistic pressure. Yes. How do you get your dancers to work through that? Yeah. Well, that is a. That's part of the, 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 remember the baggage I was talking about that yeah. ballet comes with? That's mm -hmm. one of them is this idea of perfection because we work every day on, you know, perfecting a kind of our body. It's like doing scales, you know, the ballet class is like practicing scales and you're trying to perfect that quote unquote scale. It's a, a set of physical movements every day. But the point and the way I try to get around that is like you throw all that away. Mm -hmm. Hopefully it becomes a, you know, it's the it's the the zeros and the ones underneath the the, the software running on top, mm -hmm. you know, and that just comes out as being beautiful and interesting. And someone is moved there. I, I don't want them to, to I don't want someone to see us and go, oh, well, look how high her leg is. What I want them to see is is some sort of human emotion like. Oh my gosh, I never thought of that situation that way before. And then later they might think, and her leg was really high too. <laughs> yeah. My God, how did she get her leg up that high? But that's not the first thing I want them to think of because that's not the important thing here. It's the important thing is feeling something, mm. that human connection. Mm. You know, um, ending a 30-year career is a very big deal, and let alone in one place. We got just under a minute left. Tell us what's next for you. Oh man, I am going to not work so much. Okay. I have a, um, a husband of 25 years, same amount of time that I've been the director. His name is Jason Merrill Fascio, and uh, he has been my rock for my entire career in this in this place. And uh, I'm going to spend more time with him mm. and travel. And you know, Nash, I'm direct, artistic director emeritus at Nashville Ballet, and uh, I'll, they'll be doing some of my ballets. I want to figure out how to be how to write and the, the craft of writing and you know i'm working on some projects with some singer songwriters here and uh oh you know who knows what's going to happen with the, the art part i'm still an artist yeah, that's right not leaving that and a little bit of vacation time in between absolutely paul vasterling thank you so much for being here thank you the Nashville Ballet is closing this season with new in Nashville this weekend at TPAC. It's the last show under longtime artistic director Paul Vasling, who is retiring after more than 30 years. Again, thank you, my friend, and best of luck this weekend. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this hour. Tomorrow, Betty Page, or better known as the Queen of Pinups, was a pop culture icon and a native Nashvillian. We'll reflect on her life and the legacy she left behind both nationally and right here in Music City. This is Nashville is a production of WPLN News and Nashville Public Radio. Listen back at thisisnashville.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Magnolia McKay. Our senior producer is Steve Harouche. Our digital lead is Anna Gallegos-Cannon. Michaela Elias is our technical director. Our executive producer 
is Andrea Tuthope. And the masterminds behind our theme music are Lorange and Namir Blade. Special thanks to Dylan Davis. The conversation doesn't end here. Tweet us at This Is Nashville. Find us on Instagram and let us know what you want from our show by filling out our quick survey online. This is Nashville. I'm Khalil Ekulona. We'll see you tomorrow, everybody. And be good to each other.